Hello and welcome to the D&D Roundtable on the Tome Show Podcast Network. I'm your host, James Intercasso. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the show. If you've been here before, do me a favor, go give us a baller ratings on iTunes. It helps us a bunch. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. You just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and shop as you normally would. Doesn't even need to be RPG related. You buying socks? Head on over to the Tome Show first, then go to Amazon. Holiday season's coming up, you guys. Get that Christmas shopping done early. Go to thetomeshow.com, then click on Amazon or D&D Classics. All right, today we're talking about the first prestige class revealed in Unearthed Arcana, which is, of course, the Rune Scribe. Um, this is the first one that we've seen in 5th edition. I'm really excited to talk about it. That's why we're going to kick things off, get to know our panel with our get-to-know-you question. What's the silliest prestige class you've seen in any edition of D&D? We are going to start with Topher Cohan. Topher, what is the silliest prestige class ever? As you know, if you've listened to me ever ramble on on this wonderful podcast of yours, I stopped playing D&D after 2nd edition and didn't pick up until into 4th edition. Mm-hmm. So I missed the whole 335 prestige class explosion, as I had to call it, or eruption, if you want to go that way. Gotcha. So having never played them, I did some research and read through them a bit. And I have to say, my I would have loved to have played a Dragonmark Air. Let's be very clear about that. That sounds incredibly cool. Hmm. Right, but something called the Plannered, the Planer Shepherd, mm-hmm. sounds like the weirdest and most lame ex- uh, prestige class ever. <laughs> I know nothing about it. I didn't look around. I just read the name and went, "Who wants to be a shepherd?" <laughs> I'm sorry. Am 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 I going to be you know herding space goats? Have you ever uh, seen Firefly? I mean, come on, though. Well, okay, there's Shepard <laughs> Okay, Allison, right after I said that, that's exactly where my mind went. I have to be clear. Uh, but come on, it sounds like he's out there, you know, it's like a cross between Eberron and um, Spelljammer, and I'm, you know, dealing with space cows or something. <laughs> Very dangerous stuff. I, I agree 100%. <laughs> I love that you just said space cows. <laughs> That is a that is a first for this podcast for sure. I feel like it's more Gamma I, World than I'm than sorry. D&D. I, I haven't railed on Spelljammer on this podcast before. Oh, just wait, it'll happen. <laughs> and, Send it to Topher at Hatemail. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Allison Rossi is with us this evening. Allison Rossi, what is I the am. silliest D and D prestige class? So my my D and D journey only began like two to three years ago now. Um, but I remember one of the first um, things I wanted to do was make a rogue just because well, why not? So I remember looking for Presti's classes and I came across the cloaked dancer, which Joe described as the combat interpretive dance class, which I think is so spot on because it's like, <laughs> The purpose is like performing dances and like doing your enchanting dance, like, but you can you have to like concentrate on it and you can't really do anything else. And it's just, I don't know, it just seems really ridiculously stupid. Um, bonus follow up there is the Lux Stealer, which is basically like part spellcaster and the other part is like a, a gambler. Um, and you steal luck from people and just, it's like 
also very, very stupid. So I, I think those are my two, uh, why is that even a prestige class type <laughs> picks there? Uh, excellent, excellent. Yeah, there were some, uh, some real winners, particularly in the, in the third days. Uh, the master thrower yeah. comes to mind, uh, for <laughs> me. Uh, but, uh, I don't want to name too many of them because we still have one more guest to reveal. Joe Lestowski. What is the silliest D&D prestige class? Well, now, this is going to surprise a lot of you. This will probably feed into my narrative that I like the way 4E did uh, additional classes better. Uh, but uh, it's either the Anarchomancer, which was in Dragon Magazine 315 uh, for 3.5, or the uh, Drunken Master. Mm. Uh, and that's because both of them make a completely unfun-to-have-in-a-group character that you create solely for mechanical benefits. And I feel like that's where prestige classes push you is because you, you put aside your old class, you join whatever your new prestige class is. And uh, for instance, for the anarchomancer, uh, you're basically a, a saboteur anarchist and your, your abilities you get are things like uh, you can do a ritual that randomly causes zones of chaos and confusion within a mile radius of where you are. Not directed, just randomly around so that you can, you know, cause problems. Uh, or, or the Drunken Master, where, where you gain more powers uh, as you have more drinks, but you also get um, um, hindrances like angry drunk or uh, recuperating coma and things that just make you less awesome uh, in combat <laughs> and to have in the party and more of a hindrance to the party. And so that's, that's – the two of those together I think are, are – uh, emblematic of, of my feelings on prestige classes in general, but I think they're both pretty silly. <laughs> uh, Topher. So if you're new to the whole, if you didn't play three or three, five, like I didn't, and you want to take a, a walk down this memory lane, like, like I did, uh, James will have a link in the show notes oh, for sure the Wikipedia page. that lists all of the three of the third edition prestige classes. And it's yes. just a giggly fun read. Yes. It is overwhelming. It really is are. overwhelming, let me tell you. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, uh, fourth edition, we always talk about overwhelming choices, right? Um, but certainly, uh, when it comes to prestige classes, whoo, oh man. <laughs> well, and it, it got even worse in third and 3.5 because they had the open gaming license, and so anybody could create a source book. And it wouldn't necessarily be legal for, like, organized play, but you could have, the, you know, there was a pirate source book that had different pirate prestige classes. There was a goblin source book that had a whole bunch of goblin prestige classes. And, and it was all, uh, you know, just some random people put together a book and published it, and they paid the fees for their open gaming license thing there. And uh, suddenly it's out there. So, so even the Wikipedia link is just the official prestige classes, but you go even further and there were so many of them and nobody ever balanced them. So I would assume that uh, as we talk about prestige classes, we will probably see more of a fifth edition model like we have for everything. They'll probably release a few of them, Wizards of the Coast anyway, will release uh, very few prestige classes and they will keep them 
tight and contained and probably focus on making them quality prestige classes. Uh, and speaking of which, we've seen one in Unearthed Arcana, which, as we've said before, is really meant to be uh, playtest rules. These rules are not final. Uh, so as we're commenting on them, keep that in mind. Uh, these are available for free over at the D&D website. We will link them over in the show notes at thetomeshow.com, along with the list of third edition prestige classes. Um, and I guess for those of you who don't know, a prestige class, uh, if you've never played D&D before, um, or you've never used or seen a prestige class or a paragon path, um, it would be a similar thing if you've only ever played fourth edition. Um, prestige classes are classes that you can take at higher levels. Uh, it works like multi-classing, uh, and there are prerequisites for them. So, you know, usually it might be something like you need to be at a, a certain level or you need to have an ability score uh, of a certain numerical value or higher. You need to have certain skill proficiencies, that sort of thing, before you can begin taking levels in this prestige class. Um, they're usually, you know, they usually don't have 20 levels because you take them later. Uh, third edition had uh, 10. The one prestige class that we've seen here, the Rune Scribe, they've released five levels of it. Not sure whether or not we're going to see more or less of those coming up. But anyway, that's, uh, that's where we are. Um, you know, they have brought prestige classes into fifth edition. So before we get into specifically the Rune Scribe, I think we should kick off the conversation with how do you feel about prestige classes in general and how do you think we're going to see them done in 5th edition? And Joe, let's start with you. You've already given us a taste of what your <laughs> response to this will be. Yes. Well, the thing about prestige classes is that you have your prerequisites and sometimes that requires class abilities, sometimes that requires ability modifiers or a certain level or or training in a certain skill or whatnot. Uh, but once you go into the prestige class, my experience in third edition was that you often lost the identity of your previous classes. Like you still had their abilities and whatnot, but you were more focused on being whatever, whatever the, the prestige class was. And when people would build characters, a lot of times they would be like, oh, well, I need to take a, a, a level of rogue to get these skill points to get this, and then I'll go into fighter for the rest, and then I'll go into this prestige class. And so it, it felt very much uh, sort of like a mechanical transaction to get you to the point of the prestige class. Uh, so in general, I, I found that prestige classes were more of a... a hindrance to to role-playing a class at early levels because you knew you were just taking that level of a class to get up to the prestige class. The reason I like 4th edition is because their Paragon Paths and their Epic Destinies uh, didn't get in, in the way of whatever your existing class was. So if you were a Cleric and you took, when you hit 11th level, you took the Miracle Worker Paragon Path, uh, yeah, that would do all kinds of crazy things to make your healing awesome, but you still kept getting cleric powers uh, as you went up in level. So you were still a cleric. This just defined what kind of cleric you were instead of being a whole new identity. Uh, so in general, I've seen prestige classes to be more of a new identity that kind of overwrites uh, the previous classes. So I don't really like them. Now, let me throw this out there that the approach they seem to be taking in 5th does seem a little different than the 3rd in that yes. in 3rd you had a lot of crazy prerequisites and it would be like, well, I really want this to take this prestige class, so I'll need to take a level in Druid just so I can have access to this Druid skill, but then I'm going to need to take some levels in Fighter to get access to these feats I need, and then I'm going to, you know, 
Um, right, right. And this, uh, at least the prerequisites we're seeing for the Rune Scribe, are way, way different. It's like, have these two ability scores at this, have proficiency in this, and uh, make sure your character level is this high, and then you can start right. taking this class. Which to me says, like, at least for this Rune Scribe class that maybe we're seeing that... Uh, because you maintain the ability to cast spells, you're maybe not losing your identity as a wizard, uh, mm. you know, um, if if that's what you're going for. But I think I think you're right. I definitely saw a lot of what you're talking about in third edition, especially because even you you were talking about third party <laughs> material not necessarily being balanced. I would say there was a fair amount of uh, Wizards of the Coast published. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, prestige classes yeah. that were they were either usually like way too good or terrible, <laughs> um, you know, and and so specific that they were really made more sense for NPCs than they did unless you were playing a very specific campaign. Um, right. So yeah, yeah, it will be interesting to see. Right now, we only really have this one to go off of. Uh, I think hopefully they can take some of those lessons and see the sprawling list of uh prestige classes and maybe avoid that uh, i'm i'm with you there buddy um mm. topher what do you think prestige classes yay or nay boo oh boo so it seems to me it's a mechanic for power gamers uh, having just read this document and then reading about third edition versions of them i agree with joe the the paragon path was about making your character in its class more of a hero, which is what I think the story or the arc of D&D is all about. It feels to me the Paragon is, it's like the guy who is a third level moon druid, and when he goes to fourth, he takes a level of barbarian so he can rage. And he has, but the only reason he takes it is so he can rage. You know, it's it seems a little bit like that to me. Now, I, having not played it, having not DM'd it, uh, I'll tell you this, I don't see how this will be, how this could work into um, a published campaign of any type, unless it's very campaign specific, but it just seems very much it's built for the meta gamer, the power gamer, the 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 optimizer. It feels very much like it's not story driven, and that's the part of D anD I love so much is the story driven. You know, I have a great and furious backstory for Jimmy of the Page, mm-hmm. and I you know spout it quite often when I play him, even when I've you know, recreated him at first level to play him in Adventures League for expeditions. I mm-hmm. have this story I tell every time he comes to the table, and I love that about him. And I think this kind of there, there's not a story there. Is you know Jimmy all of a sudden going to learn rune magic one random day? Well, that's <laughs> not Jimmy. You know, so what? You know, there's no story there for me. That's I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying that people can't make it happen. I just think from what I've seen so far they put out and what I've read about three and three five prestiges, it seems very much for the power gamer. I'm going to throw this out there uh, again, just looking at the one class. Um, we do have an actual story requirement uh, before you can enter the prestige class, which is different yeah. from a lot. Uh, some third classes had them, um, but not all of them. And it sounds like this might be a thing that uh, a lot of, Fifth edition classes are are going to prestige classes specifically are going to have where they will have this story element like in the the rune scribe right you must uh, find a rune and present it to an NPC rune scribe who accepts it in return for tutoring you. Oh, no, you're right. You're absolutely right, James. And I think that's that's the part that makes me kind of go, okay, maybe I need to play it. Maybe I need to DM it, right? Right. To get my head around it, and but that's also the part where I say 
Well, if it's a published adventure, I'm not even talking about adventures. Like I'm talking about just a published adventure and a DM who wants to run the, run the published adventure. That's a little bit of an onus on the DM to now come up with a side quest and a side situation that, that has his players do this. So, yeah, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. And I, I, in organized play, right, you could say, well, I went to a convention and I met a rune scribe when, when my character was playing in that, you know, D and D epics game. Or, so, yeah, I think it, I think that is correct, but I also like that, uh, in that sense that a player can go to their DM and say, you know, I, this is the thing I really want to do. And it, it forces that conversation to happen so that a DM can, probe a player and if the dm isn't comfortable with like well you're just doing this to power game you know for some groups that's totally fine right uh and for other groups it's it's not this at least forces that conversation and the player doesn't show up to the table and say guess what i can fart and the world is destroyed now um because i took the farter prestige class no Uh, that was joe's character when he fought the (laughs) tarras oh yes (laughs) sorry uh, Allison Rossi, what do you think? You've played a lot of third. Um, in fact, you can watch Allison play D and D three five. Yes, you can. Um, so, so yeah, I have very mixed feelings about this. Um, and I honestly have not made up my mind about whether I like it or not. Um, I was not expecting prestige classes to come into fifth edition. Um, so now that they're they're there and it's kind of a thing. Um, part of me is worried because like mentioned, you know, if someone wants to do this, the DM has to then figure out something to, to bring it into the story. The Uh other thing is there's only one of them right now. So what if one player wants to take it, but no one else has the option of a prestige class. So like the story ends up revolving around one person. Um, other issues I, I could see happening is that it could really change the way your story goes if you actually do, you know, kind of do the prerequisites of they have to meet like a special person, like an NPC that you have to create, and then you have to figure out the runes to give as as loot. How many do you give? How often? Like, how do you handle it? Um, I am liking though the the simplicity it seems to be of getting into the prestige class because before I remember um, when I started playing 3.5 that's part of what almost scared me away Uh, there were so many things that you had to think of beforehand that you literally had to sit there and map out your character before you even created it and hope that they didn't die at level one because you just sat there and spent hours planning out the next 15 levels of what was going to happen with them. Right. So, so that is also a worry though, because are there going to be really high barriers to entry happening in three point or in, in five E because suddenly there's a bunch of prestige classes and people are even more confused about D and D. So they're Mm -hmm. too afraid to play. No one's going to sit there and explain to them what a prestige class is, how to, how to map out your character for the next couple levels. It's just, I feel like, it adds a lot of interesting aspects and a lot of aspects that could get very complicated in the game for new players, new DMs, or even just experienced players and DMs. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, so two things, I, I know we're kind of ranking on the idea of prestige classes, two things I think in favor of this, uh, or, or maybe they're just subliminally in favor. Um, the fact that they chose the rune scribe as the prestige class uh says to me that they're both speaking to my diablo 2 uh 
fancy <laughs> in my head because when they did the when they did the expansion to Diablo 2, they introduced runes as a thing you could add into your weapons. And also, I think they're speaking to the 4E player in me because the Rune Priest was the least one of the two least supported uh, core classes in 4E, and everybody was always griping about it. So I think they're oh, first prestige class we put out, it'll have runes in it, and that'll make the 4E players that were upset about the Rune Priest happier. Maybe. I don't know. It, it just, just uh, semi-positive things there that, that I, I think are, are interesting to see in sort of the wider discussion of, of uh, the gamer mindset is, is choosing, choosing a, rune, a rune scribe as this uh, first prestige class because there's really um, no reason why you couldn't be a priest and go into this. You just need training in the arcana skills. So you could be a lore priest or, or, or you know, a knowledge priest or something like that and, and get into it uh, and I think make an interesting character out of it. Sure. I mean, or even, you know, I think there's, you could be a rogue or a fighter. Oh, um, yeah. You know, who who finds a rune and maybe this, you know, maybe it's the DM who presents you, wow, I found this weird rune and now I've met this scribe and oh, this scribe is actually kind of cool and I want to learn some things that he knows, you know. Um, I think there's there's definitely an opportunity there for that. I... You know, I understand uh, the gripes with prestige classes, particularly in the third edition of D&D, but I, uh, I have to say, I loved, whenever I would get a new book, um, I played a lot. Uh, I also mm-hmm. DM, but I loved going through them because I did like thinking about the story. Uh, you know, like, uh, and, and some of them were very silly. Uh, you know, you're... Like I said, the master thrower, uh, everything everybody mentioned, uh, drunken master, that kind of thing. Um, but then there were some where it was like, wow, this was a character concept I never thought of. And, and what would an undead hunter be like? What would a geomancer be yes. like in that yeah. kind of thing? Um, you know, and I, I think that for some players, having prestige classes can help inspire those ideas. I do think Allison's point about it being, uh, you know, another barrier to entry for new players is a good one. Um, I do think that fifth edition does a good job in all of its source materials saying, you know, if you don't like this, don't allow it at your table. Hey, here's the basic rules. And they'll probably say that with prestige classes, just like they did with feats. You do not have to allow these at your table. Which I think is good because then you can say that to somebody and they can't accuse you of not actually playing D&D or, or that kind of thing. You know, it's nice when Wizards has the back of the DM like that. Okay, you guys changed my mind. I'm not booing prestige classes anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I think the jury's change out. I really do. <laughs> no, I mean, James, you, you hit on something I didn't quite think all the way through. that The fact that if you have a good player who use So if you're part of a home campaign and you have a good player who you trust, you can work with them and say, listen, yeah, I'll let you become the rune priest, even though you're a rogue, right? And right. let you, but you've got to come to me with a really good story on how um, how that happened, why that happened, and how that affects your class. And not just, I get these cool extra powers, I can cast these rune spells now. Um, yeah. I, I think that's, I think it's, yeah, that's smart. And I think, uh, I think I want to do that in the, in the game now. We all know this. We're all dungeon masters. Power gamers will always, you could say we're playing the basic set of D&D, and they're going to find a way to power game, right? (laughs) 
So I, and, so and true, it hurts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you could hand your, you know, your story driven player, the most min maxed character alive. And, uh, there's maybe still not going to play that person to maximum effectiveness because they're going to do what their character would do, you know, um, which it, it takes all types, certainly. Um, but I think this is a good place to transition into the rune priest or the rune scribe. Sorry, rune priest. I'm going back to fourth edition. <laughs> uh, What's wrong with that? Great class. Love the rune priest. <laughs> um, so, but uh, why don't we talk a little bit about uh, the rune scribe? Um, so, you know, I, I think it is, it's, uh, you know, we've, we've hinted at it. Essentially it's this spell casting class, uh, that uses these magic runes, um, to boost their magic. Uh, again, seems like it's probably made for a wizardy character, uh, but the barrier to entry you know, really anybody could, could take it, especially with backgrounds. You know, your background could give you the Arcana skill. You have to have Dexterity and Intelligence 13, and, and then you go from there. Um, so the big feature of this class is obviously this runic magic, you know, which allows you to use runes of magical power to augment some of your own spells and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, so you can attach these wounds to, to weapons and, um, you know, and, and to other items and to really just augment the power. It seems pretty cool. Let's talk about it. What did you think of this class kind of overall? Allison, uh, let's start with you. So besides, you know, the worries that, that I brought up, I actually think this sounds like it could be a lot of fun. Um, just it's a little bit overwhelming. Uh, you know, I read over it a couple times and it's still like, wow, there's so many different properties of these different runes to kind of remember what they'll do. But I do like, um, the, you know, the attunement aspect to it. So it does count as an attuned item. There's there, obviously this is playtesting, So there's still things that could be very, very broken, but I'm liking where it's going. Um, and I think it would be interesting to see in a game, just seeing how these different runes work, um, seeing how people use them creatively in battle what they could, I mean, some of them do very simple things. Um, so like putting out a fire or, um, what else is there? Just adding more damage to things. They're very simple, but could be very, very useful, especially for your more creative players. You can think of how to use them in strange situations. How about you, Joe? What did you think? Um, so I was really, uh, intrigued by the living rune feature, uh, because I noticed when I first looked at the class that there's five levels and there's no ability score boost or chance to get a feat. And usually, uh, in, in a normal class, every, every four levels or so, at least you're getting one of those. And so I was like, well, how are they going to fix that? How are they going to, is the class that overpowered that it, it's better than having a feat or, uh, or an ability boost? And then I saw the living rune where at, uh, fourth level in this prestige class, um, you get kind of a variable increase to an ability score, which is interesting. I don't know from a from a, a story point of view or from a from a game point of view if you're really going to be like, oh, well, this adventure I'll want higher constitution, and this adventure I'm going to want higher decks. Like it, it seems like the fact that you can move it around will be less amazing, but it's still interesting that they put that in there, and I'm I'm really curious to see how that plays at the table. Does anybody have a uh, a person who is interested in taking this at their table yet? 
My table, I don't think any of them even read the Unearthed Arcana. I'm sure I have a, a bard that, that left my table because he moved. Um, he would probably do this and just break everything in the game and, because that's just how <laughs> he does things. Um, yeah, I don't have anybody. Obviously, the bulk of my DMing right now is it's uh, organized by Adventures League. Yeah. Sure. But, yeah, they can't really take the Unearthed Arcana stuff, right? But yeah, right. I could see my a couple players in my home game which i'm kicking back off uh, which is a whole other conversation of converting my home game from four to five that's a podcast within itself oh boy uh, conversion the, documents just released i know don't, they are so don't helpful do don't do it <laughs> um but there are some um uh, there's a couple of players there who i could see story-wise take this and enjoy it and it would work really well for them so i'm kind of curious when there's guys are recreating their characters if they're going to come to me because they're all starting at at six level so uh, so, Topher, what did you think of this class overall? Uh, I thought it looked it looked it looked fun I, for you know all my poo pooing it earlier in this podcast. Uh, <laughs> I think that I think what the other two folks said was right. I think the living rooms fixes the problem of getting a little bit of a boost. I think that I like the fact that, but like Allison said, that the runes are attunement items, so it keeps them from you know if you stockpiling them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you rogues that, out there. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, and I like the fact that there's a little bit of flavor and fluff, like the um, uh, prime example is the pendant of the Vinden rune, Vind runes, I think a five foot long blue pendant. First of all, really a pendant that's five foot long. Uh, it's crafted from silk and whips as it's buffered by strong breeze. You know, that just gives this visual image. That's fantastic. And I think that they did that part really well. I think that, that's the part that Wizards is getting really good at is giving us information as DMs and as players to make the game more living and more growing. So I, I like it. I, I'm curious. I I think I would like to see this played at a table that I'm running. Oh, it's a pennant, not a pendant. It's a, it's oh, a flag. Look at that. Oh, yeah. Okay, Topher can't that, that makes much more sense. <laughs> yeah, I was like trying to find it like, wait, was it really? That's oh, like yeah. almost as tall as me. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, and for a living, they asked me to speak in public. <laughs> <laughs> and you do a beautiful job of it. It's more than okay. Send your hate mail to uh, Topher. <laughs> hate mail at ToferCohan.com. <laughs> uh, well, let's get into uh, the nitty-gritty. What, uh, what did you guys really like about this class, and what did you really not like about this class? I know that we've, we've heard some you know, uh, opinions on this already, but, but get into specifics for me. Was there anything that made you go, uh, I'm not so sure about this. Uh, and what made you go? Yeah, this is the class for me. Uh, let's start with you, Topher. Uh, I think there's a lot to, to comprehend and get your head around. I think mm-hmm. it's, I think that if I, if I was playing this, if I was a player who was going to do this, I would simple simplify it down for my own uses mm-hmm. yeah, uh, and yeah. pick one item and then just, that would be my, my goal. I tell my DM I'm really about the orb of Stein rune <laughs> and, you know, really, you know, go after that item and, you know, work with him or her to make that happen, work with them to make it happen. I think that that's the one thing that made me go, uh, but overall, I think that, you know, we've said it over and over again. I think I want to see this at the table. I want to see a player get their hands around this and see what they can do. I think that's part of the reason, right? Don't we agree? Part of the reason Wizards puts these out this way is so that players can go out and try to break them. You know, especially it seems like they double down on the things that they aren't sure of to really uh, test them. Uh, how about you, Joe? What did you love and what did you hate? Well, I'm really 
I, I was really intrigued by the new way that they're doing DCs that doesn't uh, the difficulty class for saving throws on, on many of the effects instead of being like every other caster class in the player's handbook where it's, you know, eight plus your proficiency bonus plus the, mm-hmm. the bonus from your casting stat. Um, it's 12 plus the level of the spell slot that you expend to use the effect. So you could, you could greatly increase the, the, uh, the difficulty of resisting an effect based on how high of a spell you use. And that's something we haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. And you used to see stuff like that in third edition third, where there were, yeah. there were feats you could take to, you know, increase the DC of your spells or cast as if you were a higher level and have higher DCs and whatnot. Um, and I wasn't sure if that was going to come into fifth. Uh, and now it looks like it's starting to eke its way in. Uh, but I'm not sure. I mean, it doesn't seem particularly overpowered because you're still wasting a higher level slot to do something that's not necessarily going to have higher level spell damage on it. But Joe, it looks like they only are giving you up the third level in this dock. Right, spell right, slot, right. So yeah. <laughs> well, but you, if you enter this as a spell caster, um, you figure out your spells, you know, based on the multi-class spell casting table. Right, so if you take ten levels of wizard before right. you go into this, then you can you can use fifth level spell slots or whatever. Um, no, you're right. So, so I, I'm. Everything up. <laughs> well, I'm I, I'm curious. I'm 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 really interested to see if that works because then that might also mean that you know the next time they release some magic items or something, uh, you know maybe we'll see magic items that are you know make increase the DC of a spell or, or maybe we'll see feats that increase the DC of of casting or things like you know like. I, I I didn't dislike that in third edition. I thought that was an interesting additional mechanic as you tried to spec out your caster to see, okay, do I want to have a lot of spells that do a lot of damage or do I want to have fewer spells that are really hard to resist or do I want, you know, and, and I think uh, giving more options like that and more ways that you can twist the mechanics is, is interesting and I want to see how that plays out. Yeah, I, again, I really just want to see how this plays at the table, you guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Allison, what do you think? So the one thing um, that I thought was kind of cute as someone who, who has been learning German for many years is the names of things. Um, obviously, you know, Ild is the only one that's kind of strange, but, you know, cult being cold. Wind sounds like how Germans pronounce wind. You know, Stein means stone. So, so things like that. I thought that was that was a nice little touch there. I appreciate that. Um, another thing I noticed. Where did it go? Icy mantle. Um, I see that as a simple property um, that is going to be abused. Um, it's an action um, when you scribe the cult rune. So you. You freeze water into a protective mantle. It does not hinder movement or action. And next time they take bludgeoning, slashing, or piercing damage, that damage is reduced to zero, and the icy mantle is restored or is destroyed. So I feel like that is just going to get abused to death by someone who's in a bad situation um, or just doesn't feel like fighting or whatever it may be. Um, I do like um, the wind's grasp as a simple property. So as a reaction, when you fall, you can use it um, to take new damage from the fall. So that'll be nice for those people who uh, decide to do silly things and run ahead and a bridge breaks under them or they just jump and don't want to die. So, um, yeah, those are those are some of the, the ones that stood out to me that I liked. Also, doing extra damage is always nice, too. 
I have to admit that when I first read the name Orb of the Stein Rune, I really was hoping they were talking about beer stein. <laughs> I thought that too. <laughs> I really was hoping. Not. I'm like, come on, I can see my bard with the stein of runes. <laughs> I mean, you could great. still use it like that. <laughs> and then I read it and I went, okay, that's not what they're talking about. Okay. <laughs> that, that, that made me sad, but only because of me, not because of the, the actual power. Um, the other thing I like the flavor of the uh, the runes, the way you cast them, you can you know draw them in air and whatnot, uh, because it reminds me of a really beautiful and fun to play uh, PlayStation game called Okami, where you play this Japanese wolf goddess who is trying to bring like nature life back into the world, and you hold one of the buttons and then you can scribe reality because you're a god, so you can you can write reality in front of you, and that's casting spells by tracing out these these Japanese symbols, but it's very it's the same idea. You're tracing the rune in the air and then a thing happens that's magic. And so I kinda like that. I the flavor text is really nice. As someone who likes to, to role play and likes when, you know, my players role play, I would hope that people would use those descriptions to also talk about that in battle versus just I do X with no flavor to it whatsoever. And I think it gives us as DMs a, a voice to kind of push them that way a little bit kind of gives us a little bit so how did that sphere uh, spherical chunk of granite work out for you you know kind of thing you know, make sure that our players because i agree Alison, i think it it helps them help us all right guys so uh i think final question here we're gonna go around if you could see one prestige class or paragon path come into fifth edition as a prestige class which prestige class or Paragon Path, would that be? All right. And I'm going to start with you, Joe Lestowski. I'm going to go with a class of Paragon Paths. I want to see uh, racial-based prestige classes. Uh, You know, when when in 4th edition you had the the, uh, Dragonborn had their... uh, Arcosia, Scion of Arcosia, and the Tieflings had their... Like, every every race had their own own specific... uh, extra class they could go into and they were like the 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 epitome of of their class and i think something like that to make you you know the quintessential dark elf or the quintessential dwarf or whatever i think that would be a really neat thing to see uh incorporated a character concept that can already exist with or without the prestige class before you yes. take it right yes exactly exactly yeah, it just helps enhance the idea of a character uh, rather than make it all about becoming the, just the, you know, the few five to ten levels of whatever that thing is. Allison, what about you? What prestige class or paragon path would you oh, like God. to see brought into I, I, I honestly don't know because I part of me was hoping they wouldn't be part of Fib. <laughs> and now that they are, I'm like, I, I don't. I don't know which one I like enough that I'd want to to see again. That's not like trying to think of one that's not potentially extremely broken is really hard. So I'd probably have to think a little bit longer about that one. (laughs) Uh, What about you, Topher? Well, I'm going to copy Joe slightly. And I think that the cleric paragon paths from 4E. Oh yeah. Some of my, some of the most fun things to play. Some of the most fun to have my players do it when I was DMing. To have those in as prestiges would be pretty fantastic. I think they add a lot to that class. It gives that class a lot of flavor, lets you kind of distinguish yourself as a certain kind of, you know, religious figure, if you want to go that way. And oh, I yeah. think it's just really, uh, I think that would be a ton of fun. Uh, does any- like a Radiant Servant or the Tactical War Priest. Imagine Ooh, that one, 5th yeah. edition. 
Yeah. Radiant Servant was awesome. It was incredibly cool. Calling down the sun. Oh, I, you yeah. have so much fun, man. Mm-hmm. Angelic Ascendant, uh, Miracle Worker. Yep. Yeah, they the Anointed awesome. Champion, which is kind of a kind of turns the cleric into a poor man's paladin, but still, it's like yep. he's called by his god to come. <laughs> but, in, but in the best possible way, let's be very clear. The best possible way, a poor man's paladin. I guess I could say that, like, one of the ones I remember reading about, um, that I briefly looked up again, the Incanatrix uh, prestige oh, class yes. for abusing metamagic. Mm. Because I remember a lot about uh, metamagic, and it's just ripe for abuse and making things extremely difficult for your DM. So if I was going to be, like, really mean and spiteful towards my DM, probably something like that. <laughs> oh. It'd be lovely. That does sound lovely. <laughs> as long as you're not the DM. Right, right. You know, I I never met a magic I didn't like. So. <laughs> no, right on. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, we want to know what all of the listeners out there think. Do you like prestige classes? Do you like the Rune Scribe? What prestige classes or Paragon paths do you want to see brought back into Fifth Edition D and D? Reach out to us over at facebook.com slash the Tome Show or in the show notes for this episode over at the Tomeshow.com. Or you could reach out to us directly. We can all be found on the internet. Uh Topher Cohen, where can you be found? Uh you can find me on the Twitter at at Topher ATL. That's T-O-P-H-E-R-A-T-L. Um, you can also find me on the Facebook at Topher Cohan, K-O-H-A-N. Um, and if you live in the Metro Atlanta area and looking to play a little D&D every Wednesday and some Sundays a month, I'm at Titan Gaming Comics in Smyrna, Georgia, helping run the Adventures League program there. And also, uh, if you are interested in organized play, you can read out, reach out to me via Facebook. I'm the Southeast Regional Coordinator for Wizards of the Coast and D&D Adventures League. And, of course, we have Joe Listowski. Joe Listowski, where can you be found? Uh, I can be found on Twitter, at Joe Listowski. Uh, I also uh, write D&D and Doctor Who-related stuff on uh, actsofgeek.com. Uh, we'll have the link in the show notes. Uh, and if you're in uh, New England, in the western Massachusetts area, on Mondays and Wednesdays, I'm running D&D at uh, Modern Myths, Comics, and Games in Northampton, Massachusetts. Awesome. Awesome. And thank you to all three of you because you all run organized play games. Uh, you are introducing new people to D&D. You are doing the Lord's work as far as I am concerned. <laughs> uh, so uh, thank you very much for that. And of course, Allison Rossi, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitch. Uh, generally, we play D&D 3.5e on Monday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at twitch.tv slash padfoot240. Um, you can join my, my Adventures League table because I already have seven people because we had to cap it. So, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, that's not an option for me. <laughs> well, and, and for you young kids, 3.5 is the the canonical version of Pathfinder, just in case you're confused. Yeah. <laughs> Pathfinder is 3.75, basically. Yeah, that is pretty much true. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, you can find me on Twitter at James Intracasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. And you can check out my blog. It's all about Exploration Age, the fifth edition world I'm building over at worldbuilderblog.me. It's got a ton of 
free resources for your 5e games over there. We're talking about monsters, backgrounds, uh, spells, all kinds of goodness. So go check that out. Okay, everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks to Topher, Joe, and Allison. Special thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup, and thanks to Sam Dillon for getting this podcast out there on the airwaves. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support this show. And hey, if you like this show, please rate The Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to The Roundtable.